wanted to make you guys aware of a, a new little project we're doing. Or it's not really a project. It's kind of awesome. There is a school. When you come out the front doors, and you can see it right there. And a lot of our, our kids actually go to this school. It's called Heritage Hills. They approached us a couple of months back and asked if we would be willing to adopt their school. And we thought, <laughs> of course, yes. So we did. What that means for us is we do lots of little things for the teachers throughout the entire year. We send them little goodie bags. We write them encouraging notes. Um, this last week, they did call and say there were some families in their, in their school that could not afford Thanksgiving. So we called um, Sandra Rains at Eads Meet, and we collaborated with her, and we were, p- we were able to put together these little baskets that have an entire Thanksgiving meal ready for these families. Um, Sandra and Eads Meet donated that portion of it. We bought some of it and got it all taken care of. The reason I tell you, we were able to deliver it, Sandra and I, we were able to deliver it to Heritage Hills last week, and they were so thankful that those three families in their school were going to have a Thanksgiving. Um, And that's because of you guys. Um, The reason I wanted you to know that is we have so much money in our missions right now because of all that you have given for the past several years that we don't need anything from you to continue this this project that we're doing. We just want to say thank you. You guys have given over and above what we needed, and we can still do some really cool things for these teachers and for these students at this school. In December, we are going to provide each of them, each teacher, with a little goodie bag that's got a $25 gift card just to bless them for all that they do. Um, I don't know if you know this, but it's really hard for teachers right now in the world that we're living in, and we just want to give them just a little token of appreciation. So we just want to tell you guys all about that. We'll, We'll keep you updated. We'll give you more information as we move out into the first of the year, but just a little bit of notice for you. Yeah, it's always great when we. Uh, it's always great when people when people give faithfully and we're able to do these things because I know a lot of people. Whenever you mention, hey, we're going to help somebody or help something, people are always like, hey, how can we give to that? And one of the nicest things is just to say, hey, you've already given to that, so it's not you know not a big deal. I was making a joke during <coughs> first service. I noticed you toned it down a little bit for second service, maybe. Um, is the different the different ways that uh, children's mi- children's pastors and real pastors uh, no, not real pastors you know other pastors make uh, you, know, you know children's pastors are always like we oh, are so excited and it's just wonderful it's just great and they're you know amazing and awesome and you're amazing where I get up here and I'm like yeah barely hanging on people just you know barely barely doing enough um, so no, it's, it is great and it's great a uh, great school opportunity uh, for us to be a part of and invested in which is really uh, really awesome thing to do. I know our students were in here. They had a D now this weekend, so they will be falling asleep in the student room now for the rest of the the rest of the lesson. I told them they could be in here. Uh, they had a great weekend. I think it was one of those, uh, you know, they spend the night at the church, but I really don't know that they sleep it. I think they just play all night long, and, uh, and then and then some of the man up group they came and they cooked them breakfast today. And I got to just call it out, but I did not know this before, but I do now. Is that apparently Jason Helton makes heart shaped pancakes? Uh, which, uh, that's just not the kind of church we are, people, and we're going <laughs> to, no, I'm sorry, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to do that again, uh, but uh, <laughs> you know you know what's coming. Um, but no, we, we're going to have some fun today. I know a lot of people are traveling. Brad um, uh, and his family, they're going to be out of town uh, this weekend and next weekend, just some time away 
for them as well. Uh, sometimes we all just need a break. I know a lot of you are going to be with your families. I was telling somebody, you know, uh, it, it really determines, you know, what that means based on how we say it. People say, I, I, see my, I, I get to see my family this week. If you say, I get to see my family this week like a children's pastor, it sounds really good. Other people are like, I get to see my family this week. <laughs> Same words, but mean something totally different. And so hopefully, um, well, I don't know if your family's like mine, you're, uh, I don't know. But, uh, but hopefully you guys do. What's your favorite single Thanksgiving, you know, meal, part of the meal? What's your favorite thing? Pie? Oh, I can get on board with that. What did you say? Dressing? Yeah. Deviled eggs? <laughs> For Thanksgiving? <laughs> like sushi? <laughs> no, that's not a Thanksgiving <laughs> thing there. Ricky, you're going to say something? What were you going to say? What? Oh, yeah, green bean casserole is good. Okay. Heart-shaped pancakes. I mean, I don't know what else, whatever else, whatever else goes on. Wine. <laughs> you are my kind of person right there. <laughs> you already said pie. Can't go back. Okay. Um, today we're going to kind of close out uh, book of uh, Book of Thessalonians, and we're going to talk about some awesome stuff, and hopefully it'll, uh, it'll land uh, wh- where you want it to. I had this friend in seminary, uh, we were all doing preaching classes and stuff, and he struggled to pronounce certain words. In fact, I, I don't know why, and maybe some of you have heard this before, he had a hard time saying the crucifixion of Jesus, so he would always call it the crucifixion of Jesus, okay, which sounds like a real word, and we would make so much fun of him, and then eventually we would start saying that as well. It was sort of funny as well, whenever we would talk about the resurrection, you know, Jesus dies, buried, resurrected, he would always call that the re-resurrection. And he would say, you know, the re-resurrection of Jesus. And we're like, listen, buddy, that's just the resurrection. The next one is the re-resurrection, okay? This is the resurrection. Next one's re-resurrection, okay? And he could just never get that done. So today, we're going to talk about the re-resurrection of Jesus, okay? Because uh, the text talks today about the second coming or the rapture or the final judgment, or the end of days, or the destruction of the earth, or whatever tradition you grew up in based on the language that they used, we're talking about when the whole story comes to an end. And we all know what that means, even though we might have used different words along the way. I'm I'm convinced that no matter what we call it, we barely understand what's actually going to happen. Uh, Because we're not God, and even though God is going to tell us some things, hey, these are these are some things that are, are going to happen. I don't think it's going to look any way like we actually think it will. Um, whenever we talk about the coming of, of God or the full fulfillment of basically all of humanity or the end of time or whatever you want to call that, there are sort of these three groups of people that emerge. Anytime the Bible talks about judgment or the end or the second coming, there are always these three groups of people that are represented. The first group is who we call the departed, meaning those people who have died. Now, one of the, mis- one of the problems that we're facing in first, um, first Thessalonians that we don't necessarily see is that people came to Christ and they came to faith. But then they thought, when, when they were told Jesus will come back again, in their minds, that was an imminent event, meaning that was about to happen at any moment. Jesus was going to go and prepare a place. You know, th- this is, this is uh, some of the writings that he says to the apostles. You know, he's going to go and make the beds and put mints on the pillows, and then he's coming right back to get you. And that's the way that they lived. That's the way that they saw the world. And then when time goes on and five years passes and ten years pass, 
and some of those believers start dying, there is this anxiety that happens in the church. People go, they've missed it. They've missed Jesus coming back. So what are they going to do? What are they going to do now? And there's this anxiety that takes hold of the church. If you'd ask anybody in First Thessalonians how long before Jesus comes back, none of them would have said in 2,000 years we'd still be waiting. None of them would have said that. They would have said, you know, two years, five years tops, maybe ten, because that's the way that they live. They live in the shadow of the imminent return of God. But now there's some problems that start emerging because people start dying, and what are we going to do now? What do we do with the departed? So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, they write these words. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of humankind who have no hope. Okay, so he's saying some people have died, and you are grieving their loss, but you're grieving also, have they missed it? And he's saying, no, you guys don't grieve like the rest, because you actually do live with hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Nice way of saying this. Nobody's jumping the line. Things happen in certain orders. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven and with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, again, what, what the writer does is kind of set out this order of events that takes place according to the text. It says this all starts when God basically breaches the boundary, breaches the border between heaven and earth. And then there is a loud command. What that is a nice way of saying is this. God is going to speak that everybody will hear. Apparently even dead people will hear when God speaks. It's going to be, you're not going to miss it. It's not going to be whispered. You're not going to be like, do I think I heard that? This is, this is an image like Mount Sinai when they're standing at the base of Mount Sinai and God starts bellowing the commandments out. And the people are like, hey, Moses, why don't you go up and get it and then just come and tell us. There is no mistaking the voice of God. He says God is going to give a loud command, or he's going to kind of, kind of give, you the, give you the details of what's actually happening. And then there's going to be a trumpet call. Now, I don't know what a heavenly trumpet sounds like, but I've heard an earthly trumpet, and it's fairly, you know, fairly loud. I think we should start waking up our kids in the morning with a trumpet, like just, just see how that goes, you know. Um, but trumpets were announcements for the king, or they were a, a moment to advance in battle. And maybe it's both of those things. It's this heavenly scene that's going to be loud, and it's going to be known by everybody. It says the dead will rise first, those people who, who have been faithful. The dead will rise first. Believers, we all fly. We become Iron Man or Superman, and we, we kind of uh, start, you know, levitate. I don't know what that means. And then basically at the end it says we all go to heaven. Now, it starts and ends with God. And it's very clear what's going on. You're not going to be confused about what is happening. That's what, that's what the writer is telling his people. Now, is that exactly what it's going to look like? 
Probably not. It's just an image of, hey, this, when the end comes, you'll know it's the end because God is going to be in control. The king will arrive, and you'll know when the king is coming. And it's, it's meant to be an inspiring text, even though often we teach it very, very fearfully. Like you want to hide when this event happens, and it's saying no. That's not what's happening. Then there are two groups. In any judgment scene that we see in Scripture, the group two is the faithful, those people who are living out the story of God as best they can, and then group three, obviously, by implication, are the unfaithful, those people who have not made good choices, who have not chosen to live into the story of God. And so let's talk a little bit about this in chapter 5, the first 11 verses. It says this. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, talking to the church, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day will surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Now, asleep here doesn't mean uh, dead. It just means people who have kind of turned away from God or don't want anything to do with God. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so whether we are awake or asleep, meaning dead in Christ there, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage each other and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now, anytime you read any judgment text in Scripture, our natural inclination is to be reflective, right? And what we basically ask ourselves is, well, which group am I in? Am I in the faithful or the unfaithful group? And the questions that are laid out here are, am I, encur- am I an encourager or am I a critic? Do I build people up or do I tear them down? That's, that, that's what Paul seems to think is the dividing line between people who are faithful and people who are faithless. If you look at any judgment passages in Scripture, judgment rarely has anything to do with knowledge. It almost always has something to do with action. It never says, hey, you knew all the right answers or you were able to speak the right words at just the right time. It always says those people who did God's will are the faithful and those who didn't are not. This is why Matthew 25, beginning in verse 34, I believe it is, there is this judgment scene, probably the greatest judgment scene that Jesus shares. And he says, when he comes, he will have all these people around him. And to the right, he will say, you guys are in because you did these things. You cared for strangers and immigrants and the poor and the needy and the disenfranchised. And on this side, you didn't. And that's why you don't get in. Now, I'm not, I don't literally mean that. That's just the image that we see in Scripture. Because I see some people on this side. Maybe on this side. Um, no, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> you know who you are. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But which group am I in? Well, well, judgment seems seem, seem to say, who do I care for? Do I care about the people who are outside of my circle? 
Look, we all have circles, and there's people, our families and everybody else that we care for, and we're supposed to ourselves at the center of that little circle. But as we, as we grow in faith, what it really is saying is our circles get bigger. At least they should. We should start thinking about people in other circles, and we should care about them. And the way that we love them reveals what we really believe in here. It's amazing that we have placed a lot of emphasis on how much we know. And yet Jesus and Paul and others place more emphasis on what we do with what we know. Great lesson in that. Then Paul transitions the last part of this book to have the last word. Now I want to tell you something. If you study any kind of document of, of Scripture, you will realize very quickly that many of Paul's letters are about the same length, almost identically. And you think, well, that's odd. Why did they, you know, why did they do that? Was he only allowed to submit, you know, 2,000 words per book, and that was what the publisher said they could do? No. It probably has to do with the medium that he wrote on, meaning the paper that he wrote on. If, if I gave you a piece of, what, 8.5 by 11, you would probably, if, and I asked you to write five letters, your le- all your letters would look the same. They would be about the same length. It's kind of like writing greeting cards, right? Happy anniversary, happy birthday. Most of us write about the same amount on those cards, unless you're one of those crazy people that writes and has arrows and it's on the back and, you know, there's an additional paper. Nobody needs those. All we're checking for is their money in it and we throw the rest away, okay? Yeah, if you sign your name, we barely know it's from you, okay? So this, but most of us write the same amount when we have the same amount of space. And so that tells us that some of the writing par- par- parchment that he wrote on are about the same. But you know this as well. When you learn to write letters in school, right, you know, you, you say this, then you do this, then you close your letter. A- and, and after you're, when, when you're signing your name and you're kind of closing down your letter and you remember there's something I need to say that I forgot to say, what do we do under where we sign our name? We write two little letters. What are those letters? P.S., right, postscript. You know, hey, the dog died and, na- you know, Nana's not doing well and, you know, I got fired and, you know, we d- 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 okay. Let's get <coughs> got to read this. Um, that's how we do it. Paul does this at the end of most of his letters. He writes what we call the list. And it's a rapid fire, usually two words in ancient language, like infinitives, like just, you know, do this, do this, do this. And they're all commands. They're all in this imperative voice if you're an English person. They have this, they're not asking, they're just telling. And he does this. Now, I'm not going to read them because you can read them, but this is the list that he gives at the end. He says, Acknowledge the hardworking, live in peace, don't be idle, don't be disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, don't pay back wrong with wrong, do what is good for others, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in everything, don't quench the spirit, listen to preaching, test what people say, hold to what is good, reject evil. So 17 things, right? I mean, just boom, 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 just lists them out. And when we start looking at that list, right after he's done a judgment passage talking about the faithful, the question that comes to us is, how can I possibly be saved because I can't do all these things? If you write all these things on a post-it note and put it on your mirror as you're getting ready in the morning, some weeks you might do good with some of them, but you're never going to do all of them well. And he's just talked about what it means to be faithful. And so we're kind of losing our minds here. I can't do all that. (laughs) 
That's a lot. How am I going to pray continually and rejoice always and not pay back wrong with wrong and, and, and you know, be, don't be idle? And be, I mean, it's just, it's just too much. And I think when it comes to faith, often we feel that way. It's too much. Ah, but then Paul, he's so good. He closes down the book of 1 Thessalonians in verse 28, and he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thank goodness he said that. Because I think sometimes in our faith walk, we beat ourselves up all the time about how good we think we're doing. You ever do this? I'm just barely hanging on. Or we look at other people around us. Maybe you look at your parents or your spouse. Or maybe it's your friends or even your pastor and you think, they've got their lives together. They do this so much better than I do. And I want to tell you, don't believe that lie. Because it's a lie. We make assumptions and we grade ourselves. We critique ourselves based on others. That's not what the writer's saying. The writer's saying, yes, being faithful is you live your life this way. But there's not one person in this room that can live into that bliss perfectly. Not one of us. Not even close. And that's why Paul's words at the end are so powerful. They're just, they're just a little P.S., after he's written this whole letter and you just feel beaten up at the end, he goes, P.S., the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is going to be with you. Thank goodness. It's going to cover those areas that you struggle and things you do well with this week, you're going to do horrible with next week. And it's okay. The grace of God should never be a permission slip to, to act badly or to behave inappropriately. But it covers us and it helps us. And it redeems our story with God so that we know we are the faithful, not because we are good enough, but because he's good enough. There's a beautiful word of hope in the midst of that. And yes, we should try. And yes, we should try to do well with the lists that we're given. But at the end of each day, maybe we stop and we say, it's only by the grace of God that I'm considered among the faithful. Everybody who's ever been faithful feels the same way. It is only because of the goodness of God. And allowing our lives to be open to that and available to that is what matters most. It's not about doing it perfectly. It's just about doing it and accepting where the destiny is at. So I hope today you hear a word of grace, not from me, but from Paul, and ultimately not from Paul, but from God. We live and exist only because of the grace of God. And we should take hope and courage in that. And that should motivate us to try to be faithful. So Father, today, just thank you for thank you for meeting us in this place. Thank you for the ability to have a few laughs, to just share in your story. And God, I just pray today in this moment right here, right now, that we will not be so obsessed with what we're not good at, what we struggle with. Not that we don't try, but God, that we're just reminded that you are awesome, you are powerful, that you extend us grace every day, 
But sometimes we look at our accomplishments and achievements and we think we're doing well. And yet, we might be bringing 1% to the table. And the grace of Jesus brings the rest. In fact, we confess our arrogance to think that we even bring 1%. God, today, I just pray that we would hear an inspiring word, that we might live with greater anticipation that you are coming again, that we wouldn't just act like it's something we're not going to experience, that we would live our lives with the truth that you are coming back, that it's not something for us to fear, it's something for us to be excited about. May you teach us to live with anticipation. Father, we just thank you so much above all for your grace, the grace that we don't deserve, the grace that we can never earn, the grace that comes only through the blood of Jesus. May we receive that today. We pray this all in his name.